And I'm Dave. So Dave, here we are, Once Upon Time, episode 3 of Doctor Who Flux, also known as series 13. Uh, Similar to last week, I've seen this episode twice already over the past 12 hours before we're recording here, but you've only seen it once, and I believe not long ago. Uh, Again, it's literally 10 minutes since I watched the final seconds of chapter 3, so very, very fresh for me. Excellent. Shall we start with our words of the week? Yes, my word is perspective. Okay. Mine is Australian crawl. Okay. (laughs) I don't know where that's come from. (laughs) Let's kick off. I've made some notes here. I'll kick off by saying, and I have no idea what you're going to say about this one, as, as always. I think there's a difference between what I think this episode wants to be, and indeed probably what it is, versus how it made me feel when I watched it. Will I pause there or go on? That is either very similar to what I'm thinking or very different because my opening comment is that this is a very difficult episode to assess and to do a hot take on because how I felt watching it Mm -hmm. is probably very different to what it actually was. Yes. And there's a lot of things that happened, but actually not a lot of plot. Mm Mm-hmm. So is that the kind of vibe that you were coming from, Rob? Well, I'll put my cards down on the table here. In a word, I was bored for most of this episode. Okay. It was like watching a random bunch of scenes which were supposed to be interesting because we had our heroes inserted into them in various ways. And in theory, it was giving us some answers to what's going on. But honestly, to me, it played out like a big disjointed mess of exposition And ironically, given that, I don't feel like I actually learned all that much. Okay, well, I'm I'm quite different from you, I think, than this week, because I wasn't bored for it. I thought the 50 minutes flowed quite well. I I was intrigued across a lot of it. I thought it had a very even tempo. Mm -hmm. I I, I was intrigued. My mind was going consistently, what's going on here? Oh, that's how that piece fits together. And and it is one of those stories that is a bit like a jigsaw puzzle without a picture. And mm-hmm. and I was watching them all come together and found that a, a, a satisfying process. Now, this wasn't punch to the air. Wow, yeah. Oh, awesome. Well done, Doctor. It wasn't that. But I was I was sitting there intrigued by the whole thing and, and enjoying the vibe. Okay, I'll give you an example of what I mean. What would a casual think of this, Dave? You know, honestly, the episode was so busy reminding us every 30 seconds that our heroes were being zapped around their own timelines and they were playing out all these weird little scenes here and there for someone dipping in to Doctor Who to see a fun story of the week. I mean, what are they going to make of the Barbara Flynn scene where she's there and she's telling the Doctor, oh, yes, the universe is all over. I mean, we don't know how she knows this. We don't know who she is. And as quickly as she's wheeled on, she's wheeled off. And even if... A casual said to a decades-long fan, hey, who was that? No one can actually answer. I mean, we could take a wild stab in the dark and say, oh, well, it might have been the White Guardian who's now a woman. I don't know. I remember Barbara herself from a very peculiar practice, which had Davo in it, so that's quite fun. But in general, <laughs> that that scene and the, the episode in general, it's just weird little vignettes of nothing. And I think, you know, well, casuals, what are they going to make of it, Dave? Yeah, so that certainly crossed my mind. I was watching this and my brain was working. I was I was actively thinking, how does this fit in here? Where's where's there? And I sort of you know had had the the, the mind map of where the characters were, and oh, so that's what's going on, and that's how that pieces together, and that's who that is. And for me, that was a satisfying process, but it was not 
let's just sit down and watch some adventures in time and space for 50 minutes. Mm. And it did cross my mind that uh, it, it's like when you go to a movie and you go to one of the more niche cinemas and you see a slightly more independent sort of movie. You've invested in the idea. You've bought a ticket. You know it's going to be a certain type of movie and mm. you're watching the pieces come together. I, I, I saw The Power of the Dog uh, literally this weekend with um, Benedict Cumberbatch. That's that sort of movie where you have to spend two hours watching all the bits and pieces and trying to piece it together until it all sort of comes together after two hours. And that's fine if, you know, you're one of the six people in the cinema that wants to do that. Most people don't. They want to go in there and watch the good guy beat the bad guy in a formulaic manner. And that's, that, and that's fine. I, I enjoy those movies too. Don't get me wrong. I'm not, not being judgmental. I think that Doctor Who, at its best, can be both of those things. It can be, on one level, just enjoyable adventures in time and space. Lots of fun that a casual viewer can just click on, do the ironing, be cooking dinner and go, that was really fun. I don't know quite what happened, but yeah, woo, you know, good guy beat bad guy. Mm. But at the same time, a more invested viewer gets more out of it. This, I think, was very much the latter and not the former. And I think that if you were someone who just wanted to come in and see the Doctor blow up some Daleks, (laughs) you would be walking out of this going, huh? Yeah, no, that's fair. And look, I I don't want to appear incredibly down on the episode. So before we get to talking characters and a few other things like the flux and all of that, let me say that there were some aspects I appreciated. For example, I think this was very comic book-like in tone. Mm. Even some of the shots in places, like when the the tiny little doctor is hanging in midair in front of these massive Maury. It's absolutely something I could imagine being drawn by, say, John Ridgway in Doctor Who magazine comics back in the 80s or something, that sort of scene. You know, so I was I was seeing elements and thinking, oh, that's quite good. You yeah, know. I, I didn't go to the comic book reference, but I actually went and said that this has real Mandalorian vibes in that oh, very, okay. very modern sort of thing, very heightened colours, um, the, the mix of the the actor versus a CGI composite background. I just thought it had that very modern sort of Mandalorian feel. Uh, but but absolutely, I could just as easily have said Marvel comic movies. I think it's mm. a very similar tone there. Yeah, absolutely. Now, this time around, we learned that the Flux is a spatial event. Curious, to, well, to me at least, it's curious that it's not time-based as well and that it was deliberately made and put in place because of the Doctor. Yes. But why? You know, we, we don't know. You know, my supposition is given the Ruth Doctor had the Maury locked up and she's back in the story now, it seems maybe it's something to do with her. Possibly the end game of this is the Doctor has to go to a new universe, which means, I don't know, Russell T. Davis can write anything he likes from now on and it doesn't have to match up to Doctor Who history because it's in a different universe. I mean, good Lord, that's a dream scenario for people who are anti-canon. Um, <laughs> can I throw a word at you here? Yeah. Valiard. Oh. Now, I'm not saying that I actually think the Valiard's going to rock up at the end of this, this Flux saga, but is if, if there are 80,000 Doctors, mm. could one of them be the ultimate bad guy ever? Well, you'd have to assume so, if there's tons of them. Yeah, so, so this is just where my mind was going. Like, If it's about the Doctor, maybe it's not the Doctor we know, it's about a, a Doctor that we don't know who actually turns out to be a bad guy. And, you know, the Doctor... Bad would be pretty phenomenal, pretty mm. powerful. So maybe that would need a universe-ending thing, or maybe the other speculation I had was that we're going all the way back to wherever the Doctor came from in something else, and, and maybe she shouldn't be here. And to re- right dimension, she needs to come back. That's very, very freestyling on my part. 
Yeah, well, the the Timeless Child did come through a portal, if I recall. Yeah, so maybe the Timeless Child shouldn't be in our universe and it needs to be pruned. I don't know. That was Mm. just a thought. Yeah, that's interesting. That's interesting. Shall we talk characters specifically? Uh, Yes, can I start, please? Of course. After two episodes of wondering what the deal was with Vinda, I thought Vinda was a really good character in here. A little cliched in his actions, a little obvious, but really well performed. I thought the actor actually, for the first time, brought charisma to the screen. And for the first time, I'm going, I get what all these fans are seeing in Vinda now. Good Mm. show. Okay. I thought his story was halfway interesting, you know, being put in this position of trust and then whistleblowing on, you know, the Grand Serpent. Yep, yep. <laughs> and getting himself sent to the arse end of space for his troubles. Yep, and, and again, there was that satisfying thing of that piece of his story clicked in with what we knew, and again, I found that satisfying. Yeah, I did find it kind of got lost in the mix to some degree, because we have all this other stuff going on, and, and even the senior officer he's reporting to is Yaz for 90% of the scene, not the uh, the guy he's meant to be reporting to, and... You know, it's it's halfway there. It's halfway interesting to me, but it wasn't to me like an, oh my God, Vinda sort of moment. Yeah, I, I would have liked if the Yaz officer guy was more 50-50 than 10-90. Yeah, I guess they wanted lots of Mandip on screen, but it, <laughs> yeah. it was just there most of the time, as you say. Yeah, but no, look, I, I really thought Vinda stepped up onto his own this time. He, he did more than recite a couple of lines and tick from me. All right. I'll throw in Bell because the story really starts with Bell. And I think the story starts well with Bell. You know, there's that nice Dalek revealed. You know, they looked quite good floating along through the mm-hmm. <laughs> through the forest. Uh, and the person she's writing to, we later learn is Vinda. But one of the lines she says near the start, and I noted this down the second time I watched because I knew who she was talking to this time around. She says, you and me, my love, we fought them with regard to the Daleks. So there's, there's also some sort of Vinda backstory fighting Daleks, which I thought, oh, that's quite interesting. Is that going to get teased out, or is that just a line? Uh, so maybe the the event in which he was heroic and he piloted the destroyed spaceship and then got his promotion and got his appointment was a Dalek battle. Ah, well spotted. I hadn't put two and two together there. I, yeah. I just I just realised that when you, when you made that comment, so... That, that's where I'm coming from. Um, I'm going to disagree with you again, Rob. Yeah, go on. Um, um, I couldn't give a who in Hades about Bell's story. And I thought that was actually a weaker part of this episode. I was intrigued about where she came from. I've got some more st- points about that bit later on. Mm-hmm. But I never felt as though I got to know her during the course of the story. And the last shot where I was meant to go, oh, she loves Vinda. I was like, two people I don't really know love each other. I don't care. <laughs> I didn't. I, I didn't invest in her. Okay. Well, I hadn't got to the end of my notes on Bell, so oh, okay. may, may, maybe we don't disagree as much as you think. Okay. <laughs> because as time went on, I just found her becoming a bit annoying. Um, partly because I was already bored with what was going on, and partly because the character seemed quite pointless, and it was a bit forced. You know, pr- pretty much what you're saying. You know, you must care for this person. You know, look, she likes Vinda. Look, she's pregnant. Look, uh, she was rude to a Cyberman. <laughs> you oh, know? she pregnant. Uh, well, uh, <laughs> let, let me get to that in a moment. Because, oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> I feel like I've just got some big news. I should have. I, I should know. Oh, there, there, you tell me. You tell me this way, Rob. There, there's a. 
there's a clanger coming, Dave. There's a clanger coming. Right. But I, I, before I get to that, I'll say, you know, I think we've barely scratched the surface with Diane. We've got a bit more Diane in this episode. And we have Claire to box tick in the next episode. And with time and episodes running out, we're introducing people who still have stories that need to play out. Like, clearly, she needs to meet up with Vinda again. Surely that's why she's been introduced or have the baby you know otherwise why introduce those concepts at all and and yeah it doesn't escape my attention that bringing a baby into this opens all sorts of doors as well you know i don't know the baby's dan the baby's carvinista it's the rani who knows uh but more tellingly yes agree with you who cares so so when did we find out she was pregnant dave, dave we found out she was pregnant when she said one of the worst lines of the piece towards the end of the story when she talks about and she says it like this me and your beautiful as yet unborn child i totally missed that line and i at first i thought she said me and your beautiful as your unborn child and i thought as your unborn what 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 and i went back and i looked and it's no it's your as yet unborn child which i think must be the clunkiest line of dialogue i've heard in my life well, I honestly missed that one. And look, although I'm quite positive on this episode, I have highlighted before with, with chapter one, and I think it's worth mentioning again here, because that's a really good example. If you pack a lot of consequential stuff into episodes with a lot of competing threads, mm. it is very easy for even a listener sitting here making notes for his podcast to miss a fundamental and key line, as I apparently did. <laughs> well, once once we stop recording, I, I've got the, uh, the subtitles from the episode of that line, and I'm actually going to post them on Twitter because it is such a shocking line. Shakespeare, <laughs> it ain't, and I'd love to see what people out there have said. But I've been holding my, uh, my keeping my powder dry, Dave, just so you weren't tipped off to it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I appreciate that. That's very funny. Okay. Mm. Who shall we talk next? How about the Doctor? I thought she was really good. Oh, God, we are going to disagree. Oh, well, okay, <laughs> go on, your turn to start. I won't interrupt you this time, I promise. I thought she started this episode with some really manic dialogue, more like her Series 11 and 12 self, and she ends up at the Siege of Atropos doing that big speech, just chock full of exposition, the one that ends with, on my command. And the delivery of the whole thing seemed really off. It was like she was dialing it in, and it was, to me, absolutely nothing like the performance that I praised the heck out of just a week ago. You know, towards the end of the episode, I think she got better and she delivered some good lines a bit more like last week. But for a big chunk of this one, I found her regressive. I found her disappointing. I found her flat. Wow. Okay. Um, yeah. No, I, 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 I have a couple of positive points to make about Jodie's performance. Um, the first is that as the stakes are starting to elevate, I feel as though her performance is elevating appropriately mm. and this is an occasion where that Jodie Whittaker doctor uh, vulnerability I think we could call it mm. actually works quite well we, we've complained in the past and I, I stand by those comments that there are times when Jodie seems very defeated or very desperate without the stakes really being that high and I think that's unfortunate in this occasion I think that she does match the stakes, and I like that part of her performance. And where you say flat, and, and okay, yep, I totally get how you'd see that. I'm not sitting there going, gee, Rob and I watched the same episode. Um, <laughs> it's not that. I thought that they were really clever performance tells that this was Avatar rather than actual Doctor. 
And and I thought she played that difference quite well. And and I did sit there and go, her performance tells me this is not right. Something is up. Something is wrong with this character. And and that paid off. So I I thought actually it was quite a good acting choice, and it worked for me. But but I see totally why you would say it didn't. It's different. It's absolutely different. It stands out. But for me, I think she should be doing an impression of the Ruth Doctor. Instead, to me, she was just flat. So she was different, but I'm not sure she was the Ruth Doctor to me, like an overlay of her. You see, I, I don't think she should have been doing an impression because she wasn't just overlaid. She also had some sense of consciousness. So it, it was competing consciousness. Consciousnesses. I don't know how to say that out loud. Um, you, you get my point, Rob. So, um, yeah, I, I see it, but no, I'm, I'm going with it. All right, then how about the Ruth Doctor for you, Dave? I want to love her. Mm-hmm. And I saw a lot of, I must admit, because because I couldn't stay off Twitter all day, um, I did see a couple of comments. So I knew the Ruth Doctor was coming. Right. Um, I, I was a little bit spoiled in that sense. I wasn't blown away by the Ruth Doctor. I, I, I was like, oh, cool, she's here. Oh, she's quite early in the episode. That's good. She's going to kick some ass later. Oh, no, no, she's just going to expose it. That's mm. a shame. Mm. I think she was very underplayed, you know, and mm. maybe that was deliberate so she doesn't overshadow Jodie, perhaps. I don't know. And some of the things the character did were quite strange, like when they're having the conversation in the mirror, she sort of realises that the other, that Jodie is herself, a future self. She realises she's done something bad, but she's like, oh, you better figure it out, and just wanders off. And I'm not sure that's how the Doctor would treat another incarnation if they're talking to them. I think that's meant to remind us that this is not just an earlier form of our doctor's lifespan Mm. it is it is a whole different lifespan and and as with the way that the ruth doctor dealt with um the baddies back in fugitive of the jadoon which was a lot more callous and brutal than our doctor would maybe i think that that was kind of meant to be that sort of contrast again and i i bought that uh what did throw me off a bit and i went down a bit of a quick mental tunnel was i get that because it is really the Ruth Doctor, it's not the Jodie Doctor. When Jodie looks in the mirror, she sees Ruth, because it's really Ruth. I, I get that. I didn't mm. get why Ruth saw Jodie. Yeah. And and look, that's a really little thing, but again, if you're someone who's trying to piece together all the pieces of this puzzle and, and engage with it in the way that I was, mm. that needs to make sense. Otherwise, it throws you off. And I, I think that did throw me off a bit. Okay, let, let's move on to Yaz. She was given lots of little bits like everyone here. You know, she got to be the senior officer when Vinda is a whistleblower. She gets to play console games with her sister. She gets to be back in police uniform and sees a weeping angel. But it didn't really add up to a hill of beans. Um, she got one snarky line with the Doctor. Uh, and by now, I think the shippers who are hoping they'd be steaming up the TARDIS uh, viewfinder must be pretty pissed off by now that they're not doing that. But that didn't really do it for me either. She didn't really have a lot here. No, I thought Yaz what was fine. The performance was good. She did all the roles she needed to do very well. I, I did like that little final interaction between her and the Doctor where she starts to call the Doctor out. The Doctor slaps her down and there's that look of, okay, I don't like you slap me down, but right, things are happening, um, this isn't the time to have a cat fight. right, stop, you know. Mm. Um, I, there, there were moments of good interaction, but I wasn't blown away by her, and she was probably more relevant in the Vinda plotline as not herself than she was in her own, other than being the vehicle by which the angels come in. Uh, look, basically what I'm saying is Yaz was fine, probably better than she's been for a while, but still not amazing. Alrighty, how about Dan? I'm not getting Dan, I'm sorry. Okay. Um, by this stage, I was really getting... Bradley Walsh as Graham, mm-hmm. um, and I'm not getting Dan. He's not. He's just not hitting a note for me, and I don't know why. 
Yeah, too, I mean, here he got used in the vignettes a bit like Yaz. Possibly the most interesting information was when Diane flat out asks, you know, why aren't you married? And we learn that he was engaged 15 years before to a woman. So he's not gay. He's not widowed. You know, these are some of the things people were thinking about pre-season when oh, he true, was true. saying, yep. you know, he was saying, you know, I'm, I'm not into the doctor for sort of reasons. And people are like, well, he might be gay or he might be widowed. Why wouldn't he be into the doctor? Uh, but here we know he's he's into women. He was engaged. Uh, now he's not. But we didn't get much further than that. I don't know whether that'll become more of a thing or not. Yeah. Um, look, it was perfectly nice, but I haven't grabbed onto Dan's character. Mm. And, and I can't sit there and go, this aspect is annoying me or this performance is annoying me. I'm, I'm just not there yet. And um, yeah, that's all I can say, really. Alrighty. Uh, quickly, Swarm and Azure, uh, not a lot for our two main villains this time. And a, and a chunk of that was old Swarm to boot, who's nowhere near as interesting as uh, new Swarm, I guess we could call him. Um, I did note that the Grand Serpent dressed similarly to Swarm. And he had that big line about how uh, he's going to... Well, Swarm had the big line about wanting to reign in hell. Now, this other guy's called a serpent. Can this all be a coincidence or is there some sort of Satan ruling in hell and snakes being a messenger of Satan? Is is this a red herring I'm going down a rabbit hole on, Dave? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. That hadn't occurred to me. And I put any similarities in costume down to the fact that that's kind of the way they're doing space costumes this year. Um, so, so maybe it is coincidence, but maybe maybe there is more to it. That's a good point. Uh, Cybermen, we thought this was a Cybermen episode. It wasn't. No, it wasn't. Uh, they looked cool, though. They looked very cool. Although Bell shooting the dying one, he was just basically an exposition device. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, very true. Was very useful. Uh, Joseph Williamson, he showed up for another confusing cameo, this time firing a laser pistol. <laughs> Correct. I have nothing to add to that except agreement. <laughs> Okay, uh, and that's about all aside from Sega Nakanola's music I thought was really good in places. Yeah, I had that point as well, particularly some of those little, almost solo cello moments, I thought was really wonderful, beautiful music, just, just, this is how to do it, and and I, I've never been a huge fan of Murray Gold music, I've, I've said that on the record, that some of that stuff where it's just an emotional solo cello in the background, just hinting at things. Just being there, I thought that was really beautiful and really lovely. I, I like the way he's doing the music. Uh, final point from me is, I don't know what it was, and, and I've hinted at this before, I don't know what it was, but the moment I saw Belle's story and that flashback to Daleks and the way it was filmed, I had this moment of, are we in Ireland again? Ooh. And just the tone and the way that a lot of this was filmed did tip me off that this is not quite what we think it is. Um, mm. And then we brought the, the Ruth Doctor into it and all the rest of it. And so I thought that actually was a very effective, perhaps serendipitous, but I thought effective piece of direction, style and tone. We shall see. How about we go to the sports desk? I think we should. Sports desk where we talk play of the week, foul of the week, and MVP of the week. Dave, do you want to kick us off with a play of the week? Well, my play of the week, I actually struggled to pick something, and, and this this was the last thing I wrote down before I recorded because I thought it was a very even episode. It, there, there weren't great chunks of me being bored, and neither were there great chunks of me going, this is amazing. Mm-hmm. To me, though, what I'm calling my play of the week 
is that they did mix things up again. And at a point in part three of a six-parter where it could start to get a little bit dry and it could start to get a little bit samey or it could go into little things, I thought they gave us a few answers. They asked a few more questions. And so they kept me engaged in a really clever way. And I thought that was a really good play. And that's my play of the week. Alrighty, for mine, the episode is so disjointed, there's not a lot to really latch on to. But if I had to give it to anything, it would be cutting between Jody and Ruth talking to the Ravagers. I would have liked to have seen more Ruth to hammer home that this was actually her takedown of the Ravagers, not Jody's. But I think it might have been done to, you know, not usurp Jody. So I get that. Fair enough. Moving on to Foul of the Week, I'll kick us off here. There are lots of fouls for me, from underusing the Cyberman to underusing the Ruth Doctor to Jody reverting to, you know, Manic Children's TV presenter for about 80% of the episode, uh, to exposition coming out of everybody's ears. But I'll go for something specific, and it's what I mentioned earlier, Bell saying in the message to Vinda, me and your beautiful, <laughs> as yet unborn child. I mean, did no one proofread this? It's something you might type in a first draft, but surely you'd catch in an edit. I mean, why didn't the actress say to the director, hey, this line is clunky AF, you know? Yeah, <laughs> I, just, just... I don't it, need to say as yet. Unborn means as yet. I, I know this is in the 1970s with proper, you know, a week-long of re- rehearsal and, and all the rest of it, but even in re- rehearsal record, they at least go over the lines and surely somebody said, can we work that? Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, why didn't she just pat her stomach and say, oh, there'll be three of us soon or something? Something more normal, something less robotic and odd. It's just a bad piece of dialogue, so foul of the week for me fair enough look my foul i thought we might have snapped because you did bring it up a little bit earlier and mm-hmm. that is the cyber exposition right <laughs> i just thought that 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 thing of a cyberman for no apparent reason deciding it was just going to give its enemy all the answers to all the questions it wanted and <laughs> and then ask its own questions to get some exposition back yes. <laughs> that to me i'm sorry that was the one moment i'm sitting there going What's going on? And then all the stuff about the Cybermen wants to rule. Cybermen don't want to rule. They want to survive. And um, mm. emotions are not missions. Like, come on. Like, yeah. did, did that not get proof for it either? Emotions okay. are not missions. Come on. You, you know, it's the cyber exposition cliche machine. Mm. All right. Who is your MVP of the week, Dave? My player over the week was Swarm. I'm really liking this dude or, or the Ravagers, I should perhaps say, as a pair of them. I was Swarm manager. I'm really enjoying them, but, but but Swarm particularly, there's a real playful camp menace that I absolutely buy into. I enjoy watching it. It creeps me out. I, I like watching the evolution of Swarm from the emaciated Swarm we got in part one through to the slightly re-energized Swarm, the Swarm at the height of his powers thinking he's about to win. We saw in the flashback, so he's, you know, it reminds me a bit of the Gnome King from Return to Oz. Um, just, I just thought this whole thing works well. I love it. It's a great villain. Um, we were saying on our list makers literally 24 hours ago that was released that there aren't that many great villains of the old school in New Who. And mm. I think Swarm is absolutely up there as one of them. And I love it. And he is my player of the week with um, compliments to Azure as well. Well, we, we're going to snap here, Dave, oh. because <laughs> the current Swarm, when he was allowed to come on, I, I was reminded of how good he was. Might be damning with faint praise because everyone else didn't have much to do. And I, I guess the Grand Serpent was kind of interesting. And, you know, there's probably listeners out there saying, you know, Bell, 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 come on. Bell had a story play out. She was quite good. She got to shoot a Cyberman, you know, and all this. But no, I, I've got to give it to Swarm out of everyone for this week, too. 
Well, that's very cool. After a lot of disagreement, and I, I genuinely thought we wouldn't go there, um, we have actually ended on a note of agreement and a snap. So that's very cool. Dave, tell me about your word of the week. My word of the week was perspective. Yes. And as I said, I really enjoyed this episode. I think it worked for me intellectually. It worked for me visually. But all the way through, I'm going, all of these things could be taken differently depending on your perspective. Um, how you look at each plot, I think, depends on the perspective you take. All the stuff with the Doctor versus the Avatar versus the Ruth Doctor is all about perspective. And I just thought that's quite a clever device and a theme that ran through it. Maybe I'm seeing something that wasn't there. That's my perspective. So that was my word of the week. Very good. My word of the week was Australian Crawl, who were a great Aussie band of the late 70s through to the mid 80s. Uh, And people might remember them for the song Errol, but I'm not talking Errol tonight. Another one of their big songs was Downhearted. And frankly, that's how I feel about this episode. I'm quite downhearted, Dave. It didn't, it didn't the bed, but largely it just trod water. It bored me. And after a good start to the series so far, I'm just a bit downhearted about that. Fair enough. So that's a, a good summation. Anything you want to add and give us your score? Uh, my score is, you know, I'm going to throw 6 out of 10 at it, which in my head is really 5 out of 10, but I'm trying to be objective as well. And mm, yeah, look, I've given scores of 7.5 and, and 8 so far this series, so I think 6 is probably right. Fair enough. I wrote down before I came in here to do this recording 7.5, putting it between my 8 for episode 1 and my 7 for episode 2. But as I've talked through it, I've realised actually there wasn't a lot in there to fault, and I don't think it was any worse or any better than episode 1, so I'm going to put it on par with chapter 1 and call it an 8 out of 10. Blimey. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's amazing. We're only two points apart, but they feel like such big points this week. They feel huge. Uh, I'll just mention next time, Village of the Angels looks like it could actually be good. And beefing that up for me is that it's co-written by Maxine Alderton, the only co-writer in this whole series of Flux, I think. Uh, she wrote The Haunting of Villa Diodati, which I love. So fingers crossed we're back on form next week, Dave. Yeah, I'm less excited about the coming episode than you are. I'm, I'm a bit worried it's going to be 49 minutes of angels doing angel stuff. Um mm. We've ended on a note of disagreement <laughs> about the next time trailer, but that's fine. Look, we'll have our own views in, in seven days' time. All right. Until then, I've been Rob. And I've been Dave. We'll see you in a week's time for another hot take. Coming before then, of course, we'll see you on Sunday for Primary Sources, which is coming out too. Look out for that. Goodbye. Goodbye. You've been listening to The Doctor Show. With Rob and Dave. Find us online by searching for The Doctor Show. We also love it when you write in. Drop us a line anytime at hello at the dwshow.net. <laughs>